Hello, how are we doing? I was a little premature, am I? You know, great job on worship, worship wrap-up. Hannah, that was amazing. Um, I was laughing to myself as I was worshiping because, you know, you're deep in worship and you're, I go to raise my hands and, and Hannah was coming up for the worship wrap-up and she just walked exact that time and, and she thought I grabbed her. And when you're in deep worship and you, your hands hit something right away, you woke up, so we both looked at each other like, what? It reminded me, you know, I was a little laughing because it reminded me of one time, you know, when you gather around people and you kind of do this mushroom cloud of prayer over somebody one time at our old building. And so we were all praying and, and, and I felt like this hand rest on my hand like this real gentle. As I was praying, you know, your eyes are shut. I was like, oh. So then I just kind of moved my hand like, oh, okay. Whatever's going on. And then I felt it again. So, so I opened my eyes and it was a friend going, gotcha. And me laughing. I was like, and I just, here I go, grab Hannah. She's trying to come up. Well, my name is Steve. Um, I'm really glad to be here tonight filling in for Pastor Fred, who's on a uh, well-deserved vacation. Please keep them in prayer uh, that they find the rest and everything that, that they so richly deserve. And as uh, most of you know, if you've been here for the past couple months, as David and Hannah did mention, that we've been discussing and digging around in our Praxis discipleship model. And if you're here and you're unfamiliar with the word praxis, it's a Greek term, and it means process, as in the process of engaging and applying new ideas, right? Engaging and applying new ideas. And when I hear of it, I think of praxis as a lifelong journey of learning and growing. And that lifelong journey, it happens in the context of discipleship. Discipleship is another word that we don't hear often outside of church, right? But we're very familiar with the concepts. They're just called different things. Upgrade training, on-the-job training, coaching, mentoring, leadership. Some would even say parenting. We all give advice, right? We correct, we encourage. That's all discipleship. So we understand it. It's a part of our life. And you know why it's a part of our life? Because it's about progress. It's about making progress. And we understand progress, don't we? Ever been on a diet? Right? Looking at the scale? Come on, come on, progress. Right? What about working out? Spending some time in the gym. You want to, am I making progress? Can I bench more than I used to bench? Can I squat more than I used to squat or deadlift? Because if we're not, then obviously something's got to be going wrong. Same thing happens. Can I run a little bit further? than I used to run? Am I a little bit more flexible than I once was? The same, it applies when we're even at work, right? We wanna see promotions. We wanna see an increase in pay. Thank goodness, or I'd still be making $3.35 an hour. But here, our spiritual life, it's no different. It's no different. We should be making progress, visible, tangible, relational progress in our walk. If you were here last week, you were fortunate enough to hear Pastor David give a message on patience. Great message. Now, some of y'all may think if you just showed up last week for the first time, man, where'd they get this guy, right? What seminary did he come out of? Well, David's been here. He's been here for a little while, since 2006. Look at him. Look how cute he is, right? <laughs> Hannah's like, what's with the mustache? <laughs> but look what he's doing in a living room. In a living room, 
preaching to teenagers. But if you're here last week, boom, right? See the difference in the biceps in that guy? I can't make that kind of progress, right? But see, you look and you see the physical difference. I'm wondering, are you seeing the spiritual difference? Because that's more important. As I was talking about this just today, you know, I was like, man, I really, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to talking about this and the progress. And my son-in-law is at my house. He says, I got a great idea. Why don't you find pictures of other people and, and show the progress in their life too? And you can kind of get people ready for David's. So I found a picture from about the same time, 2006. That's the guy who's watching your kids, right? That's a kid life right there. Look, I don't know. This is the only time I really get to publicly embarrass them like that. Amen? So tonight's message is very familiar to some of the men from base camp. If you're here and you're wondering what base camp is, it's why I'm wearing the shirt. It's the men's ministry that we have here at City Life. It meets on the second and fourth Saturday of every month. We also have one in Suffolk. It meets the first and third Saturday of every month. And now we're even considering having one during the week for the folks who have a problem getting up on Saturday mornings. So you may be wondering, why base camp? Where's the name come from? And we're going to get to that in just a second. But what I've realized is the meaning and the message behind base camp, it's not specific to men. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. It's my journey. It's your journey. And it was certainly the Apostle Paul's journey, which leads us to our key verse tonight. If you have your Bible, I hope you do. Let's go to Philippians 3.12. Paul said, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Another word for press on, folks, is progress. It's about making progress. I want to read a couple verses to you. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. This is why this is so important. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For sisters, jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere human beings? I love that he says mere human beings. The word mere just means just enough, just the basics, which means we can go higher than that. But you hear it in Paul's voice. Folks, where's the growth? I want to see progress. The author of Hebrews as well. 5.12. In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again? You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. You can hear it in his voice. 
that all of us, we should be seeing growth in our life. We should be seeing progress. We should be climbing higher. Climbing higher. Which leads me to base camp. Base camp comes from a Mount Everest metaphor. Because from a Mount Everest metaphor, the highest peak on the planet. Mount Everest has the border of China and Nepal running right through it. Named after Sir George Everest, a Welsh surveyor and geographer. Throughout the ages, people have tried to climb this. Throughout the ages. But it wasn't until 1953 when two people, a New Zealander by the name of Edmund Hillary and a Nepalese Sherpa, Tenzig Norgay, who made it to the summit of Mount Everest. Since their time, others have tried and they've made it. But I want to fast forward. 57 years later, when in 2010, Alison Levine led the first all-women American Everest expedition team to Everest. She also wrote a book, On the Edge. And out of that book, I gave a devotion, a little side note, I gave a devotion at what was then just a men's group. And I was talking about some of the things we're going to share tonight, and Cam Muro had a revelation when we were done. He said, hey, man, who? That sounds like what we do here. He said, we should be called base camp. And the rest, as they say, is history. But let me tell you a little bit about Allison. She's a 50-year-old polar explorer, a mountaineer, as you know, an author, a businesswoman, who completed what they call the Adventure Grand Slam, which means she climbed to the highest peak on seven continents. If that's not enough, she skied to the North and the South Pole, all while undergoing three heart surgeries and a condition that makes her susceptible to frostbite. Today, she serves at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point as an adjunct professor. Why am I sharing a story about Allison? Because I love what she said about progress. She said, we assume that any step in the opposite direction takes us further from our goal. Not true, especially at high altitudes. She said getting to the top of Everest requires a lot of going backwards in order to go forwards, going backwards away from the summit. And here's how Allison described it. From the bottom to the top of Mount Everest, there are five stops, five camps, if you will. There's a base camp and four other camps. Just getting to base camp is a 38-mile journey through snow, wind, and ice. Just getting to base camp, which base camp sits at 17,000 feet. You may be thinking, "Ah, 17,000 feet, that's not too high. Newport News is 15 feet. (laughs) 15 feet from sea level. Anyone know the highest point in the country? Denver, Mile High City, 5,280 feet. 17,000 feet just to get 
to base camp. And listen, you know when people get to base camp, they're all like, woo, selfies. Hey, I climbed Everest. No, you didn't climb Everest. You got 17,000 feet, which is impressive. It's impressive. We say, hey, it's an accomplishment just to get to base camp, whether it's in Nepal or Newport News. We tell guys, look, I know it's hard to get up at eight. I know. Just, just get up and make it. It's going to be okay. But the true explorers, they press on. The ones who want a better view, they climb higher. The ones who want to challenge themselves because they know there's more, they push on. And the journey looks something like this. Now, while a lot of people, the tourists, when they get to base camp, many of them may go home from there. The ones who go forward, they pack up all of their gear in their backpack, which weighs somewhere between 25 and 35 pounds, and they make their way out of base camp to Camp One. Camp One is at 19,000 feet. They get to Camp One, they unpack, they put their tents, it looks something like this, only a few less of them, and they get out and they eat their beef jerky and they hang out for a day. They get up the next morning, they put everything back in their backpack, They look up at camp two, they do a 180, and they head back to base camp. They go back to base camp, they unpack everything, spend a day there, talk to everyone there, get up the next day, and they head to camp two. Camp two is at 21,000 feet. All right, we're getting a little bit higher. Unpack, set up the tents, eat a little bit more beef jerky, talk to your friends, hydrate, hang out, get used to it, get up the next day, looking up camp three, no, not yet, we go back to base camp. Same thing. And they keep doing this, unpacking everything there. They get up again the next day, pack everything, and they make their way to Camp 3. Right? Camp 3, 25,000 feet, hang out there, do the same thing. And this goes on. This keeps going. Until finally they get, they're at base camp, they're getting ready to climb up to Camp 4. Camp 4 is known as the death zone. It's the final camp before the top of Mount Everest, and it sits at 26,000 feet. So everyone is hanging out at base camp, and they're getting ready to go up to Camp 4. You know what they're doing? They're sharing their experiences with everyone that's there. They're talking about the challenges. They're telling them, be careful, watch your step on this area. Hey, here's what worked for us. Here's where we ran into some trouble. Because at base camp, there are people who are just getting there, getting ready to start their journey. There are people there at base camp who are just come back from the first camp and are about to go up to camp two. But here, Allison and her team, they're getting ready to go to camp four. So everybody's sharing. Does this sound familiar? About sharing our journey? So everybody packs up finally for the last time and they make their way up to camp four. They get up there, they're hanging out in the death zone at 26,500 feet. And now... If you remember what I said, it's like the top of Everest is 29,000 feet. It's like right there. So you're thinking, why don't they just drop their pack and make a run for it? Dude, you're right there. Go up and just touch it and head back. Well, they can't. Because Allison said that when you're there around camp four, you take one step for every five to 10 breaths. She said it looks like this. She takes one step and it's like, <sighs> 10 times, and then one more step. And that's the progress. So they head back, and they hang out at base camp until they make their final climb to the summit of Everest. You probably wonder, some of you already know, why, what's going on? It's a process known as acclimatization. 
They have to do that. We have to do that for the body to get used to the high altitudes. In fact, if, if you were able to get in a helicopter or an airplane and just be dropped at the top of Mount Everest, you'd be dead in minutes. It requires us to go back in order to go forward. And you know what? Our spiritual journey is the same way. We have to go back sometimes before we go forward. Nobody makes a vow of devotion to Christ and climbs on some invisible escalator and is carried to the top of spiritual maturity. It doesn't happen like that. It's not a linear journey. Sometimes it feels like we're all over the map. And I wanna tell you tonight that that's okay. That's okay. Because we don't always hear that. And I'm afraid that some people come in here and we look at people and we think we gotta be perfect. Because we had to go back and we keep, feel like we keep having to go back. Something's wrong with me. No, that's the journey. That's the journey. And here's what we need to know tonight. That the, the times that you're going back, that we're going back, we're learning lessons. We're seeing and experiencing things that we need in order to keep climbing forward. If we go back with the right heart, right, with a willingness to say, Lord, teach me the lesson here. We need to know that so we can climb higher later. I know sometimes you look at other people's journey and you think, wow, I wish I had that one. Man, theirs looks so good. That one looks so easy. Listen, newsflash. Not everybody's spiritual journey is a Facebook post, okay? Sometimes it gets a little difficult. Call me crazy. Here's my point. Sometimes progress doesn't always look like progress. And it doesn't always feel like progress. But keep taking the step forward. Because the lessons that we're learning forward and back are what we need to keep climbing higher. So what I want to do for the remaining of our time is I want to share with you what we call the seven principles of ascent. These were identified from research that I've done based on those who've climbed Everest, different mountain climbing books and biographies that I've studied to say, hey, you know what, what what's, what's required mentally and physically and tool-wise? And I began to look at it and say, you know what? Same things apply in our journey. So as I talk about them tonight, matter of fact, I wanna pray. I want to pray that God drops it in our heart tonight. Yeah. Father, I, I thank you for your presence here tonight. And as we go through these seven principles, Lord, I, I ask that you put your finger on, on every heart in here, on one or two of these, that, that we can say, you know what, that's me. That's mine. That's what I need to begin to, to focus and concentrate on right there. Tonight, Lord. I know you have something to say. May our ears be open and our hearts willing to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at these and think about your journey, how far you've come and where you wanna go. So let's look at the first principle. We call it dive deep. Dive deep. Sounds counterintuitive, right? And yet it's probably one of the, the more important and most neglected of all the principles. This is where we flip the mountain. It's an iceberg metaphor. We know about it, right? That 90% of who we are is under the surface with only 10% that people see. Why is it that most of us spend 90% of our time working on the 10% that people see? Listen, the, what you see in the visible originates from the invisible. 
There are times that we have to, we want to go further in our spiritual journey. We have to make the time to begin to look at those things that are in our heart. Hebrews 12, 12 says, Jesus is the author and the perfecter. The King James says the finisher of our faith, which means finisher, means there's a starting and there's a continuing and he finishes it when we let him in. Every one of us here needs to take moments to look, to listen, to discover what makes, what brings you passion? What makes you happy? What makes you cry? What are your dreams? Why do you feel stuck? Why do you keep having the same discussions? Why are the same arguments keep coming up? These are conversations we have to have down deep. I'm gonna tell you, most of the people, many people outside of Christianity or whatnot, they may not take the time to say, what's going on in here? It's like, I am who I am, deal with it. This is just how I am. It's incumbent upon every one of us to say, what's going on in here, Lord? What's going on inside me? One of my favorite resources, if you were in our life group uh, earlier, a few months back, we did a life group on it. One of my favorite resources is by a pastor in New York, Peter Scazzaro, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He has a whole series, Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Leader. And listen to what he said. And I've said it before from the front, that there's an inseparable link between our spiritual maturity and our emotional health. And that it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. We can't. We can believe we are, but once those emotions are triggered, everything starts coming out. We have to begin to look at those things. We can't make progress. You and I, we can't make progress. Or better yet, God can't even get in there and change us if we're first unaware of what's going on and second, unwilling. I can't give anything to God that I'm not willing to say, you know what, I own this. It's yours. It's yours now. And it requires us to look at the five different areas of our life. Physical, intellectual, emotional, social, spiritual. Every one of these things have two extremes. Let's look at the physical. There are some obsessed with how they look, right? Everything's gotta be perfect. Then there are others. Whatever. <laughs> what you see is what you get, right? One's at the track. The other one lives at McDonald's. I think God wants us somewhere in the middle, right? He wants us somewhere where we're healthy. What about the intellectual? You got the guy over here who overthinks everything, analysis paralysis. Well, let me break everything down. And then we have this one over here who does everything. The first thing comes to her mind, Mr. and Mrs. Impulsive. We don't even need to talk about the emotional range. We've seen it, right? Or the social, very distant or all over you, all in your space. You know, the close talkers like, whoa, <laughs> right? There's extremes, I wonder if we were to look at our life and evaluate and say, where do I fall on that in these areas? Am I more over here? Am I over here? I promise you that if you begin to ask God tonight, he wants to tell you. He wants to tell us. The thing is, are we listening? 
are we willing to follow? You may be able to quote mass amounts of scripture, but if you're not having these conversations with yourself, with other people, and looking at these things in here, we're gonna get stuck. It's why the Israelites went around and around unwilling to deal with the rebellion of their hearts. I mean, you would think after year 20, 22, it's like, I, I've seen that rock before, <laughs> right? At what point, I carved my initials in it, I'll be back. At what point are we gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna move on. So if tonight, if you're the one that needs to begin to look a little under the surface, then ask God, because he is the perfecter of our faith. Amen? Let's look at the second one. Principle number two. Pack light. If you're gonna go higher, you have to pack light. One of the things that you learn from mountain climbers is there's a discipline to packing well. Amen? Just like us. We carry a lot of excess baggage that we need to get rid of. I was talking to my wife and I realized, you know what, there are some things that I had in my bags just five, 10 years ago that I can't carry with me today. In fact, when I think back and I look, I'm like, oh my goodness, I watched that movie? I can't believe I did that. There are things in our life that it comes up, we say, you know what, I need to leave this behind. I have to unpack this selfishness. I have to unpack this unforgiveness. Amen? There are some things that we're not willingly admitting that we're carrying, but we are, like guilt, insecurity, and shame. These are things that if we want to go higher, we have to unpack. We have to leave them. Remember what Paul said. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. Jesus knows of our journey. He knows what we're carrying. That's why he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. Listen, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This may require us to make some hard choices in our life. I wanna ask you tonight, are there some things that you're doing in your life that are causing you to be weighed down? You have to ask yourself, are there things that I need to get rid of? Are there things I need to add to my life? Are there some relationships that are pulling you backwards instead of forward? This is the time that we have to make hard choices. I had a conversation with a guy just this week, been walking with the Lord for over 20 years. And we're discussing things like this, and he says to me, you know what I, I, I realize? That I suffer from victimization. I got a victimization mentality. He said, every time something happens in my life, I feel like I'm pointing fingers at everyone. I'm blaming everybody for my life. And he said, it's like a weight on me. I said, now we're getting somewhere. Now let's take it out, right? Let's, let's take some ownership for our attitude, okay? There's a tweet. I'm gonna take some ownership for my attitude. I'm gonna stop blaming it on other people. I'm gonna unpack and I'm gonna leave it because if I wanna go higher, if I wanna keep climbing, then I need to get rid of it, amen? As I was talking to my friend, I said, you know what? I think God is telling you the same thing I think he's telling some of us tonight. I love this scripture. He said, you've made your way around this hill country, folks, long enough. It's time to turn north. Amen? Maybe some of us tonight, we've been wandering around the same place over and over, and I believe God is saying, hey, long enough. Turn north. 
turn north. And if you're going to turn, get moving. Number three, get moving and keep moving. Principle number three. Folks, inertia on a mountain will kill you. It'll kill you. Frostbite sets in. Limbs begin to die. Same thing happens with our spiritual journey. We have to keep moving. When we, stuck, when we stay stuck too long, opportunities die. Potential is paralyzed. Doors shut. For some of us, you've been moving and you've stopped. Tonight, God said, uh, keep moving. Keep moving. You made great progress. What has you stuck now? For other of us, we just need to get off the couch. We need to get off the couch and engage. One of the things that we do here at City Life is that we have people serve once a month. For one, it helps us pull off the service. Number two, it puts us with other people to build relationships and fellowship. You gotta do something. You gotta keep moving. It's like the parable of the talents. We're familiar with the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. I won't read it all, but God entrusted talents five to one, two to another, one to another. Do something with it. I love what it says here in verse 16. The servants who received five and two talents, they went at once and put their talent to work. They went at once and put their talent to work where the other servant we know buried it. Tonight, within every one of us here, there's a talent. God did not say, I'm gonna give you all of them, I'm giving them none. He gave it to each of us, every one of us here. But half the time, we don't see them. They're undiscovered or dormant. We have to get moving before they even begin to show themselves to us. And you may be thinking, well, what if I begin to do something and I fail? What if I try and I fail? I tried in my last church and I failed. I wanna read part of a speech. Some of you know this from President Theodore Roosevelt. On April 23rd, 1910, he was in Paris. He was given this speech. It was a 35-page speech in 1910. And this is a paragraph from the middle of it. It is not the critic who counts. It's not the person who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the one who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, wait, valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends themselves in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if they fail, at least they fail daring greatly so that their place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. 1910. 2017. Get moving and keep moving? Absolutely. There is a spiritual battle going on. 
We need to get in the fight. It requires us to be sweaty, bloody, marred, but at least we're in it. We're making a difference. We're using the talent. God needs every single one of us. Every one of us. We cannot sit on the side and say, they got it. He wants you. He wants me. And it highlights the importance of principle number four. Use your gear. Use your gear. Having the proper gear when you're climbing Everest can save your life. I've said it before. Nobody, I don't care how experienced they are, climbs Everest in flip-flops. It's not happening. This is what some of the gear looks like. This is what some of the gear looks like just to climb Everest. That's on a backpack, right? Ropes tethered to one another, the right shoes, the right protective equipment, the tents, the flashlights, the axes, everything. We need that to live, to climb Everest. You know what we need? We need the pathways. These are our tools. This is what we need to live. It's what we need to climb. You heard them mention it earlier. We need these pathways and all of them. We need all of them. So Pastor Fred, in his book, Praxis, if this is your first, second, or third time here tonight and you don't have one of these, see one of the folks in a blue shirt afterwards and they'll give you one of these. This is a book by Pastor Fred about our discipleship series, Praxis. And in this, he said this, all of these are equally vital. Too many teachings about spiritual activities try and explain why some are more important than others. The consequence, as I've observed in my work as a pastor, is that prioritization gives people a false sense of permission to neglect the lesser ones. So as you're packing to climb higher on your spiritual journey, which ones would you leave behind? I'm gonna take a little bit of scripture and some relationship. I'm certainly leaving fasting and maybe even service. Right? Don't we do it? I mean, if you were to look in your backpack right now for your ascension, what's in there and what isn't? I was convicted just putting it together. Right? We need all of them. And I promise you, if you feel dry, if you feel stuck, if you feel frustrated and offended, I can assure you that you're missing some of these in your backpack. If you feel like here I am again, wandering around the same mountain, doing the same thing, I can promise you, you're missing some of your tools. These are them. These are them. And they're not up for debate. Amen? Number five, couple more left. Determine your bearings. Every map, every GPS starts with where are you? Where are you? Ask for directions. Where, where are you starting from? I think most of us have a sense of where we wanna go but it's a little fuzzy 
about where we are. If we don't ask this, if we don't determine our bearings, then as we're, do, as we're going along in our journey, we're gonna run into some obstacles. We're gonna experience some problems and suddenly we're gonna be like, I don't know where this is coming from. This is much harder than I thought it was gonna be. Everyone has a different journey and everyone's at a different place. Don't try to start where someone else is. Start where you are. Start where you are and then go forward. We may all be going to the same place, but we're not all starting at the same place. Find out where you are and start there. Too often we try to start where someone else is starting and we wonder why we're so frustrated and it's so difficult. Another thing that's really important about determining your bearings, knowing your bearings is knowing your boundaries. Knowing your bearings is knowing your boundaries. Nobody on Everest is going to the end like this. Oh man, that is awesome. Nobody, you know what they're doing? They're staying away from the, from the ledge. Why do we have a desire in our spiritual life to see how close we can get to the edge without sinning? Huh? Why are we like this? Am I still good? Is this a sin? Is no, no sin? Sin? Am I good? Right? How many do it? If I watch this, is it, is it bad? Well, I'll just, is this okay? We don't say way back. When we determine our bearings, we're like, will this, can I still get into heaven if I'm right here? I don't care if I get in smelling like smoke. I just want to get in. Right? Determining your bearings, knowing where you're at, Staying away from the ledge. Using wisdom to say, I'm not even going to go near it. I'm staying back. And every time on the mountain, when somebody's like, oh, man, what do you hear? Hey, hey, hey. You're too close. You're too close. If you don't have someone in your life to tell you when you're too close, then it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before someone else, you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna feel the rope from your sin. Your fall causes them to, oh, whoa, what's going on? I told you, back. Step back from the ledge. It's not about how close we can get to, to sin and not sin. It's about worshiping God. Completely and fully. Okay? And that leads us to number six. Expect setbacks. Many of the setbacks that happen in our life are from internal. There are agreements that we've made, bad decisions. Oh, I thought she was the one. Oh my goodness. Set me back. Right? Oh, he was so cute, though. Setback. Right? Man, I had an investment. Setback. You know, they said they were just going out for a little while. I'd be home by one. Setback. It happens. 
Sometimes the decisions are ours. Sometimes they're other people. Proverbs says the companion of fools suffers harm. Sometimes it's decisions that other people make. Sometimes it's not bad stuff. It's just things they do that may work for them but doesn't work for you because you're at different places. Allison said that the first time she tried to climb Mount Everest, she was 200 feet from the top. 200 feet. And bad weather set in. She can make a decision. Do I push through? Do I try to make it and risk my life? Nope. 200 feet from the top. I'm going home. I'll come back. And she tried again. I had to wait seven years. Seven years. Sometimes, she said when she was getting ready to go, prepared physically, mentally, everything was ready. Got up the next day all excited, sick. Everybody goes, you go home. Flying home from Nepal, back to Newport News. I've been trying to do this my whole life. Setbacks are part of our journey. Setbacks are part of our struggle. Setbacks show us the core of our commitment. If we're not ready for setbacks when they happen, we're gonna begin to throw the towel in. Look what's happening to me. I can't believe it. I've been planning this my whole life. Why would this happen to me? Do you know, I've been reading the Bible every day for six days. I can't believe this is happening to me, Lord. Do you not care? (laughs) If you don't think setbacks are in here, let's read this. 2 Corinthians. Had it here. This is Paul. Hey, are they servants of Christ? I love this. I mean, scripture. And then he says, and he parenthetically puts this in there. I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Let's think about setbacks as we're reading this. See, because I could stop there. I think a couple of floggings and some time in prison, right? I might, recon- I might be saying, you know what, Lord, what pathway am I not using? Why is this happening to me? But he's not done. Flogging in prison's not enough yet. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once, you know what? I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. When you're shipwrecked for the third time, what are you thinking? Who is steering this thing? Right? It, no, that's not enough, though. He, he, has, he keeps going. Right? I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been, in, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger, listen, from my own people in danger from Gentiles in danger in the city in danger in the country in danger at sea and in danger from false believers I've labored and I've toiled and I've gone without sleep I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food I've been cold and I've been naked but besides everything else I face daily 
the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who's weak? And I don't feel weak. Who's led into sin? And what does he say? I don't inwardly burn. In other words, it isn't easy for me either. It isn't easy for me, and yet I press on. I make progress. When it comes to setbacks, folks, if that's you tonight, I believe that God is saying what you need is resilience. Resilience. Eric Reitens is a former Navy SEAL. If anyone knows anything about resilience, it's a SEAL. And I think he's even now the governor of Missouri. He said, resilience enables people to move through hardship and become better. To move through hardship and become better. No one escapes pain, fear, and suffering. But from pain can come wisdom. From fear can come courage. And from suffering can come strength. If you're resilient, there's a difference. When climbing Everest, we're dealing with a financial or family crisis. When we experience our setbacks, we have to step back and call out, God, what is it? I'll go forward. Why this? We move forward with resentment or, and not move forward with resentment and unforgiveness, folks, but with wisdom and humility. Can I have the worship team come up? We're gonna go into our last principle. Which one? Which one is God saying, you know what? That's something you need to look at. Our final one, follow and lead. It goes without saying that our journey is not done in isolation. Therefore, we should be simultaneously, folks, leading and following. It requires both. We should be doing both. When they're climbing the mountain, they're looking at both. There's somebody ahead of them. There's somebody behind them. We should be doing the same thing. And I think this principle perfectly represents our invitation. the first part of our discipleship model. From the one, the six, the 12, and the 24, this is the first one. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul is saying right there, he's following, but we also know he's leading. So I wanna, I wanna give you an invitation tonight. I want you to take a second and think about your journey. No one else's. You're here for a reason. God orchestrated our steps to get here tonight, right now. So do something for me. I want you to shut your eyes. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about the the trials that you've overcome. I want you to think of the dreams that you had when you were young. 
Is your life right now what you expected? Is there more for you right now? This isn't about anyone else but you. In this moment, in prayer with God. As you saw that picture of Everest, I want you to think. Think of the men and women who stood before Everest and said, we can do this. Think about the men and women of great faith who went before us and said, Lord, with you, we can do this. And they blazed a path for you and for me. I don't know what your journey looks like ahead, but I know there's, I know there's a goal. I know there's something because God put it in every one of us. And he's telling you tonight, he's inviting you tonight to go on a journey like you've never gone before, to climb higher than you've ever gone. Will you respond to him tonight? Open your eyes. Follow me to Everest.